Deadbeat Scroll by Mark Coggins is slick, sardonic, and suspenseful. Everything a great thriller should be, says New York Times bestselling author Lee Child. Find it in ebook or trade paperback wherever books are sold. In this podcast, it's read by author Mark Coggins. Learn more about Mark and his other novels at markcoggins.com. Chapter 6 The Late Shift After I closed the door and heard the click-clack of her heels fading down the corridor, I returned to stand in front of Gretchen's desk. What'd you think? Gretchen sniggered. Judging from her last remark, I think she likes you. And judging from your burning red cheeks, I think the feeling is mutual. Ten years ago, I would have hoped that she'd be jealous. And ten years ago, she might well have been. But Gretchen was more like my long-suffering sister than my ex-fiancé now. She's nice enough, and she's certainly attractive, but with that hair and those clothes, she's speaking a language I don't understand. Gretchen laughed outright this time. She's emo. Emo? It comes from the word emotional. Emos are a subculture somewhere between punk rockers and goths. They cultivate the image of being sensitive, self-aware, and occasionally angst-ridden. Just like me, huh? What I meant was, what do you think about this investigation she had Chris doing? Could it be related? I have no idea. But what choice do we have? We have to follow it up, don't we? Yeah... We do. I'm going to do a little more digging at Golden Fingers. Then I'll start with the architecture firm. Can you? Yeah, yeah. Do an online search for Corinne White. Exactly. And don't forget to pester our emo friend for the files she mentioned. I won't. She stood and walked out from behind her desk. What are you doing? I asked. Getting in slapping range? Is this your self-awareness kicking in? Do you realize that you need to be slapped and are bracing for it? Well, no, not exactly. She shrugged. I'm tired of sitting, and while I haven't forgotten Angelina's file, I think you've forgotten something I told you earlier on the phone. I thought back to when she had called me as I was coming out of Schlein's office. Oh, yeah, you said Kittredge had the preliminary autopsy results the black eye, and something more. I stared into her face for a long moment, trying to read what was there. The something more is not good, is it? I don't know. I guess you could say it's troubling. Chris had sex shortly before he died. He had sex, I repeated robotically. How do they even know that? August, he was a catcher, not a pitcher. Right. Of course. Did they find any, uh... No. They found residue of lubricant and latex from a condom. And this would be downstairs, not upstairs. Correct. Can they identify the brand of the lubricant? Yes, Astroglide. Is that... popular? I nodded. 
Yes, it's the Coke classic of personal lubricants among gay men. Nothing for us there. I thought about it some more. Was he seeing anyone? Not that I know of. The last guy I heard about moved to Japan. Japan? Yeah, to work for Sony. Chris was pretty broken up about it. Okay. Was there any indication of sexual assault? Let me put it this way. Kittred said there was no sign of bruising or other trauma. This is not a conversation I would have wanted to have with Kittredge, or vice versa. No wonder he called you instead of me. I looked down at my new shoes and saw a tiny distorted version of my face reflected back in their highly polished toes. The more we learn, the less we know. Agreeing to take on an investigation that wasn't in his wheelhouse and having sex with a man in a straight massage parlor. What the hell was Chris up to? Gretchen reached over to wrap me in a hug. Somewhere he's looking down at us, smiling at our frustration, but absolutely certain we'll figure it out. He's definitely smiling about the meat-eating dinosaur comment. It's almost like he arranged for me to hear that. Don't be so emo, she said, and pulled me closer. At 11.53 that evening, I stood in front of the grimy concrete balustrade guarding the Bush Street overlook to Stockton. Below me, the 30 Stockton trolleybus juddered by, connected to overhead power lines by hinged poles that sprouted from the roof like the antenna of an overgrown insect. A smattering of cars whooshed by behind me and Bush, and a man pushing a woman in a wheelchair gave me a wide berth almost steering the outside wheel of the chair right off the sidewalk. The Stockton Street entrance to Golden Fingers was below on my right. Its towering sign, which was nearly at eye level from where I stood, was still lit, but the parlor had been closed since 10. I was waiting for the janitor to show up in hopes that I could learn more about the discovery of Chris's body. I knew Kittredge would be pissed if he found out, but I didn't entirely credit his version of events and I wanted to hear it from the horse's mouth. A white van double parked in front of Golden Fingers at 1210, and a man and a woman dressed in white uniforms jumped out, leaving the emergency flashers blinking. They hustled to the back of the van where they decanted a variety of cleaning equipment and supplies to the sidewalk. The man hurried back behind the wheel to move the van while the woman busied herself with transporting the equipment and supplies inside. I loitered at the balustrade until I saw the man round the corner at Sutter and walk back up Stockton towards the massage parlor. I lumbered down the concrete staircase that led from the overlook to the street. I managed to arrive at the massage parlor door just as the man walked up from the other direction. He was Hispanic, in his late thirties, with a wide, flat face and a full head of unruly black hair. He had just wrapped his hand around the door handle when I said, Were you the one who found the body here the other night? He released the handle and stepped back, clearly nonplussed. Who are you? I'm a friend of the man who was killed. That didn't seem to clear up his confusion. He licked his lips and blinked. I remember that Kittredge had said the janitor who found Chris was from El Salvador and didn't speak much English. I probably spoke even less Spanish so we would have been at an impasse if the woman who had come with him in the van hadn't picked that moment to poke her head out the door. 
What do you want? She demanded in crisp, unaccented English. There seemed to be a family resemblance in her features, so I guess she was related to the man, perhaps even his fraternal twin. I want to talk with him. About what? About the dead man he found here. She stepped out onto the sidewalk, pressing her butt firmly against the closed door. Are you a cop? No, a private investigator. I'm a friend of the murdered man. He was also an investigator. Mrs. Kong Seng Chai wouldn't like it. What does Mrs. Kong, I stumbled over the word, have to do with it? She runs the parlor. I pulled out the folded stack of $20 bills I had gathered for this purpose. Look, I've got 200 bucks here. It's yours, or should I say his, if I can just get some information about what happened on the night my friend's body was found. Like I said, I'm a private investigator. Neither the cops nor Mrs. K will ever know about it. The money prompted a meaningful look between the two of them. Then the man launched into some rapid-fire Spanish. It was apparent he had understood more of the conversation than I had assumed. Eventually, the woman shrugged and agreed with a short, Si quieres, which was one of the few Spanish phrases I recognized. Let's go inside, she said to me. It will give us more of that privacy you've been talking about. Great. I followed her through the door into the dinky reception area. The Sputnik fixture was just as bright as ever, but not being hung over did wonders for my sensitivity to light. The man gestured for me to stay in the reception area, then plunged through the beaded curtain to the hallway beyond. He returned a moment later with three folding chairs, which he arranged in front of the reception desk. He plopped down in the closest one to the curtain and said something in Spanish. The woman translated, Have a seat and ask your questions. I yanked my chair closer and fell into it. For starters, the police told me there was only one janitor. Were you here that night too? No. Some businesses aren't cleaned every night, or they alternate between a light cleaning and a heavy cleaning. I only come with him when he needs help to finish his rounds on time. And you are? His wife. So much for my twin hypothesis and the idea that opposites attract. That's great. If you say so. My name is August Reardon, by the way. May I ask yours? She puckered her mouth. First names only. I'm Christabel and he's Hector. Nice to meet you. I gave them a first names only smile. How about if we start by Hector describing how he found the body? Hector launched into a response in Spanish without waiting for Christabel. When she gave me the translation, it was consistent with what Kittredge had told me. Hector had arrived around midnight, cleaned the common areas first, then moved on to individual massage rooms. He found Chris in the second room he cleaned. He called the owner, Mrs. Kong Seng Chai, and she called the police. I was disappointed. I hoped that the description of finding the body would include some material fact that Kittredge had left out or prompt some other questions. Have you ever found anything like this before? Christabel snorted and translated the question for Hector. He laughed, too, and answered directly in English. A dead rat once. Ever see the man before? At the massage parlor, I mean. We're never here when the parlor's open, said Christabel. We never see the customers. 
Not even after hours? No private events or special arrangements for good customers? Christabel made a dismissive gesture, but put the question to Hector anyway. He gave a two-sentence answer. Sometimes they stay open later, she translated, but then they tell us to come later. We are always here alone. Did they tell you to come later the night you discovered the body? He already told you, said Christabel. He arrived at the regular time, same as tonight. Are there any security cameras? No way. The customers would freak. I looked up at the gilded wainscoting I had noticed on my earlier visit. A faint aroma of chlorine mixed with the nauseating scent of cheap perfume wafted out from the beaded curtain. I hadn't noticed that on my earlier visit, but if I had, I probably would have thrown up. Have there been any other crimes here? Come on, said Christabel. This place gets raided all the time for prostitution. I meant violent crimes. You don't call forcing immigrants to have sex against their will violent? All the girls here are victims of sex trafficking? Most of them. There are a few who stayed after they paid off their debt. A few who freelance. Who runs them? Mrs. K? No, she's just the mama-san. A Chinatown gang supplies the girls. There was only one gang in Chinatown with the organization and connections necessary for human trafficking. Wo Hop To? I asked. Christabel nodded. I rested my elbows on my knees and let my head loll. I had killed the former leader of Wo Hop To during the investigation of a fixed mayoral election a few years back. Chris had worked the case with me, helping me to understand how the electronic voting machines had been fiddled with. The possibility that he had been murdered in revenge was downright frightening. I looked back at Christabel. Do you know any of the girls here? She frowned. Why? I want to talk to someone who was working that night. You think Wohop Toe lets them run around during the day to meet with anybody? One of the freelancers, then. I'll pay. She looked over at Hector, who said something low and soothing in Spanish. Write down your phone number, she said to me. Maybe somebody will get in touch. I took one of my old cards from my wallet and passed it over. She looked down at it, chewing her lip. Something clicked for me. You used to work here, didn't you? I work here now. I mean during the day. You know too much about the operation, and you have too much empathy for the girls. She thrust her chin out. Maybe you have too little. It's not a secret I worked here. Hector knows. It's how we got the contract. Okay. You have anything else to ask? We're on a schedule. It doesn't do us any good to make an extra 200 if we don't finish our jobs on time. We'll lose the clients. One final question. Did Hector notice anything unusual or out of place that night? Apart from the body, of course. Christabel translated for Hector, and after thinking a moment, he said something back to her. It wasn't much, but it clearly wasn't no. Rather than serve up his response, Christabel said something back to him. He shook his head and gestured toward me. What's going on? I asked. Tell him, said Hector. My husband is more soft-hearted than I am, said Christabel. He did notice one thing. It's not exactly unusual for this sleazy place, but Mrs. Kongsheng Chai wouldn't want you to know. Now you have to tell me.
She sighed and squeezed her temples. I had given her a headache. There's a room in the basement. It's a place for people to have group sex. It's not used very often, but when it is, we have to clean it. Same as the rest of the building. Hector says it was used that evening. Is there any particular reason to think my friend might have been there? No, came the relayed answer. Was there any blood or other indication that the murder might have taken place in that room instead of the massage room? Another no. Who exactly has sex in the room? Christabel answered me directly. Who do you think? Knob Hill Society ladies? It's clients of the massage parlor and the girls who work here. Does Mrs. K ever rent the room out without supplying the girls? Christabel blew air through her lips. Who knows? It's possible. It does have a few features you won't find in the typical hotel room. Such as? You men are all perverts. How is knowing that going to help your dead friend? I looked over at Hector and saw him smiling at me. Humor me. It's mainly a bunch of easily washed, vinyl-covered sofas and ottomans. There are also harnesses that hang from the ceiling and some S&M stuff. Nothing too scary. A few cuffs and clamps and things. Oh, and mirrors. Lots of hard-to-clean mirrors. I don't know what I was expecting, but she was right. The details didn't help. Did Hector tell the police about the room? No, said Hector emphatically. The entrance to it is hidden in the back of the storage area. We'd be in big trouble if the cops found out. It's one thing to bribe them to turn a blind eye to happy endings. It's another to pay them off for full-service prostitution. Christabel stood abruptly and held out her hand. Speaking of payments, I think it's time for you to settle up and go. I retrieved the folded 20s, supplemented the stack with another hundred's worth, and passed them to her. Thank you. You've been a big help. No, we haven't, she said. We never spoke, and if anyone asks, we don't know you, and don't betray my husband's trust by saying otherwise. I won't. We never talked. Hector stood and unlocked the front door. I slipped through, and he extended his hand for a quick shake. Sorry for your friend, he said, and pulled back. I heard him bolting the door behind me as I trudged up Stockton. A half dozen improbable theories rattling around in my brain. You have been listening to The Deadbeat Scroll, a book the New York Journal of Books described as a glorious potpourri of violence, black humor, sex, and a hunt for a lost manuscript. Find it in ebook or trade paperback wherever books are sold. In this podcast, it's read by author Mark Coggins. Learn more about Mark and his other novels at markcoggins.com.